Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're working our way through the Acts of the Apostles, Colin, and uh, calling it Acts for today. We've reached chapter 9, and uh, last week we we left off asking the question, why God chose Paul? And uh, you said he was a man of dedication and determination. He had a huge change of heart as he turned from opposing God. And you commented on, on what a humble man he became after his conversion, however, a hunted one. Yes, the persecutor became the persecuted. And we read in verse 23 of chapter 9, after some time the Jewish leaders decided to kill Saul, but he learned of their plans. Now, of course, these same leaders tried to kill Jesus. And this shows both the depth of hatred uh, towards the truth about Jesus Christ but also just how blind their religious fervor had made them. And, of course, Saul had been um, such a leader himself. He had been blind, hence the three days of blindness that the Lord, of physical blindness that the Lord let him endure before he sent Ananias to heal him, as we heard at the end of last week. Uh, it, it just shows how deep-seated this hatred is. What we also need to remember is that today, at this present time, more people are being martyred for Jesus Christ than at any time during the history of the church. That is a salutary thought because we don't hear too much about this, but um, the figures, when I say today, I mean in this, in this modern era, um, I was looking at some figures the other day and seeing that there's been a slight decline in the known deaths of martyrs uh, in the last two or three years. But, of course, there are probably several that we don't know about that never become part of the statistics. So there is this deep-seated hatred towards all things Christian uh, still prevailing in the world today. And, of course, we see this in uh, radical members of other religions that are deliberately persecuting and even killing Christians in different parts of the world. So, you know, in, in that sense, nothing has changed. There are still people who today choose martyrdom rather than denying Christ. And in the whole of the New Testament, there are, are so many warnings about uh, how the Christians must stay faithful, even in the, even in the face of, of, of death, and how Paul and the um, writer to uh, Hebrews and others are praying for those to whom they write and really encouraging them to stand firm. Uh, this is very different from the kind of situation that we're uh, used to here in the West, that, you know, if we get a little bit of persecution, we can get upset about it. But uh, that's always been uh, part of the territory, really, of being faithful as Christians. And I was saying last week, in actual fact, if we're not being persecuted, it's because we're not doing anything worth persecuting. So, you know, there is a sense in which we should always inspire opposition by the very fact that 
the truth does challenge people. It's right in their faces. And uh, we can't compromise the truth of the gospel just to make it acceptable to people. And we always have to remember that, that it's not that we are to try to make God acceptable to man, but the whole of salvation uh, is God's way of making man acceptable to God. And the mistake that many of the churches have made in modern times is to compromise the gospel to try to reduce it to a level where they think it will be acceptable in society. And you can't do that. I mean, it just robs the gospel of its power if you try to do that. So there's a sense in which the church today needs to become more like the apostolic church, more like the, the church of the New Testament in that we will preach the gospel with wisdom. Uh, we, we must say that the, it isn't that we go out of our way to deliberately um, you know, create uh, opposition and persecution, but in the exercise of our um, commission to go and make disciples of all nations, it is inevitable that there will be persecution. So we then read that um, the reason why uh, that, that they wanted to kill Saul was because, of course, uh, they themselves were being personally challenged because to accept what Paul was saying would have to be to acknowledge that they had crucified their Messiah, which was more than they were prepared to face. So it then says they kept a close watch on the city gates both day and night in order to murder him. So one night some fellow believers lowered him in a basket through an opening in the city wall. Really is ironic, isn't it, that he came openly to persecute the church. Now he's being persecuted and he has to leave the city in such a way. So then Saul tried to join the disciples when he arrived back in Jerusalem, but they were all suspicious of him. Well, I think you could understand that. It was a bit much for those in Jerusalem to really believe that this arch-persecutor of the church had now become a disciple of Jesus. So we read, they did not believe that he had become a true disciple. However, Barnabas brought him to the apostles. He related to them how on the journey to Damascus, Saul had encountered the Lord who had spoken to him personally. He told them of how he had preached fearlessly there in the name of Jesus. So it's good that Saul has this man Barnabas, the encourager, uh, to speak on his behalf. So Saul remained with the apostles and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. When he debated with the Grecian Jews, they plotted to kill him. <laughs> great, isn't it? Go from out of the frying pan into the fire. When the other believers heard of this, they took Saul to Caesarea from where they sent him home to Tarsus. So he was hot property now. I mean, wherever he went, uh, the Jews were out to get him. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had a time of peace when it could gather strength and increase in numbers. The believers were encouraged by all the Holy Spirit was doing among them, and they lived in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, of course, is not being afraid of God, but is to be in awe of him. And, of course, um, 
if you live in the fear of God, you don't need to live in the fear of man. And so this was their secret, that they didn't allow the persecution and opposition to phase them because they lived in the fear of the Lord. While traveling around the country, Peter went to visit the saints in Lydda. He found there a man called Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately, Aeneas was healed. Now, let me just stop here because it's very important to see how this healing took place. And you've heard me say many times on this program that we are commissioned by the Lord Jesus to heal in his name rather than to pray for the sick. And we saw Peter and John in chapter 3 healing the cripple at the temple of gate by saying, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. They were exercising the authority to heal in the name of Jesus that they had been given. What I have I give to you is I have the authority, I have the power to heal you in the name of Jesus, so get up and walk. And here we see uh, Peter isn't laying hands on Aeneas, he isn't praying long prayers, he isn't telling the Lord how great and mighty he is and all that he's accomplished on the cross for our healing or anything like that. He is just speaking with authority in the name of Jesus the words of healing. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately Aeneas was healed. And this is how we see so much healing happening today. This is how we teach our students in the Bible college, how we teach our children in the church when they're at school with their friends to heal in the name of Jesus. You know, you're not going to pray long prayers over your fellow uh, pupils in the school playground or anything like that. But you can exercise your authority as a believer to heal in his name. So I, I think this is an object lesson for all of us because I think so often uh, instead of simply commanding the healing in the name of Jesus, we do lay hands on each other and pray long, long prayers. And, and you know, it's almost like telling the Lord what his theology should be and, and uh, what he is to do. It is not for us to command Jesus what to do. It is for us to obey what he's commanded us to do. And if he has told us to heal the sick, it's not for us to tell him to heal the sick. What we need to do is to have the faith and the obedience to do what it is that Jesus Christ has told us. And we would see a great deal more happening uh, as far as healing is concerned if we did it the way that Jesus told us to do it rather than the way that has so often become traditional. So everyone living in Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord when they saw Aeneas walking around completely healed. Of course, we would have to say that when you speak in the name of the Lord like this, it is because the Holy Spirit is guiding you and the Holy Spirit is working through you. Therefore, of course, it's not you that does the healing. God does the healing. You just speak in obedience to the leading of the Spirit, that which he uh, wants you to say in order to release the healing power of God into that situation. And the result was that many came to the Lord. 
You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 